Good evening, guinea pig fans. Once again, it's time for that uh, thrilling and exciting program for all of you guinea pig fanciers called The Guinea Pig and You. And here is our guinea pig expert himself. <laughs> Hello there, Gag. Hi, George. Big fans, wherever you might be, it's certainly good to see you tonight. And uh, we have so many exciting things to report from the world of the guinea pig. Uh, for those of you who... <laughs> Jim gives me this long, blank look. <laughs> You're just going to have to learn that there's so much that is not literal in this world, Jim. You're just going to have to learn that there's another side to life. Just the other side of the log, log, desitrig slide rule. An exciting wildlife. But I am a guinea pig fancier, you know. I think what we ought to do is uh, give one show a month, you know, to nothing but guinea pig cuckoos. Now, how I got to be a guinea pig fan is a long, sickening, boring story, and I will not lay it on you. Suffice it to say that I have one of the country's outstanding guinea pigs now in my charge. Any pig named Conway Tweedy. That's a good name for a guinea pig. It's as good as any. I mean, uh... <laughs> well, now, do you, you, you laugh, but have you ever lived with a guinea pig? Do you know anything about guinea pigs at all, Jim? Do you know, really? Do you know that the guinea pig is bred and enjoyed in South America, areas of South America, as a domestic animal and is eaten with great avidity? Oh, that's okay. You'd buy that, huh? Well, that's terrible. And you realize that they eat fox terriers in China, too. Now, what are you going to say about that? And they eat cats in certain parts of the Middle East avidly. I mean, I think that's terrible. That's the next thing to murder. I mean, you sit down to a nice big stuffed guinea pig for Thanksgiving, you know, with a little stuffing and sage. I mean, oh, ugh. Poor little thing. <laughs> but they do, you know. So any of you guinea pig fanciers out there... Uh, now, listen, uh, we tonight, uh, before... You know, here it is. It's uh, it's getting along towards uh, spring. And I'm going to have to... I want to go on record here with something tonight. Really. This this is uh, very interesting to me because I... Here is a, a, a listener. Tonight, I'm going to deal with a listener's letter, which is something I rarely ever do, actually, on the show. And uh, this guy makes some very interesting points. And it's, it was all ticked off by a remark I made on a show a couple of weeks back about snowmobiles. I said something about snowmobiles. And uh, he said, uh, you know, he started out, said, uh, that got him. See, that, that whole comment got him. And I want you to listen carefully to this letter because this guy says some truths. He does. He really does. Now, remember, I'm, I'm uh, in the media. I know in various mediums. I, I, I've spent a lot of time working for Playboy and television, one thing and another. And what he says has much truth. He says, Shepard, you have many times professed to be interested in forthcoming events and possible developments in our great nation's wearing, stumbling, weaving, bumbling, lurching, uh, travel through the pages of history. He says, It is my sad duty to bring terrible tidings of a future and extremely violent division 
of our country's populace. Now, I agree with this guy, what's happening. He says there has been much talk in the past of divisive politicians. This started with the Federalists through Andy Jackson, Lincoln, McKinley, Teddy's Bull Moose Party, and right up to our time. Naturally, the politician who is tearing the country apart is the guy on the opposite side, always. Our statesmen never do this. <laughs> Most of the dichotomy is rhetoric and bombast, the type which is much discussed in bars and coffee houses, but the noise and thunder rarely engenders much more violent than that which, oh, a black eye or bloody nose would result from. Now we are faced with a truly violent confrontation. Have you really followed this? Now listen carefully what he's saying. This is not talk. This is the truth, because I've run into some evidences of it. And you'll not see it reported on television for probably another two years, because TV is generally maybe a year to two years behind often in the things that are really happening in the country. Uh, I mean, television discovered ecology, for God's sakes, about, what, about 1969. And <laughs> people were yelling about it for years before that out in the wilderness. Anyway, he says, uh, we are faced now with a violent confrontation, which has already entered the gorilla and booby trap stage. And if something isn't done, I soon expect to see a sporadic shooting possibly even full-time shooting war. Of course, I'm talking about the two warring snow country factions. And boy, are they ever split. Have you ever spent any time in the snow country? The two warring snow country factions. Snowmobilers and anti-snowmobilers. It is really getting violent. If you think it's a joke, listen. He says, this is something which has, to my knowledge, been very little, if ever, discussed by official-type writers or TV news services. Unfortunately, most successful writers and news commentators do not recognize that there is far more to the United States than L.A., Washington, D.C., New York City, or possibly a slight dash of San Francisco. TV has, proved, has pursued this idea to such a ridiculous extent that these cities that is New York City, Washington, uh, L.A., and San Francisco, these cities are totally familiar to boob tube watchers. <laughs> and even Paris, Rome, and London are as familiar as a McDonald's facade. But when, for some unknown reason, a picture of Boston, Chicago, Philly, or Lincoln, Nebraska, is flashed on the scene, these places seem as strange and exotic as Timbuktu or Lhasa. That's quite true. In fact, I wonder if other cities have police departments now other than L.A. I mean, there must be 27 different series on the air today about the Los Angeles Department. You know, it's very interesting. Can you imagine a fantastic, what, what an exciting series it would be about, say, to have the, uh, the Miami Police Department? I mean, no, they really have some, some scenes down there, you know, with all that, those drugs coming in from from uh, the Caribbean and all that. Anyway, he says, uh, uh, the, the, the cities that are always on television are as familiar to the TV watcher as, uh, you know, as, uh, just, uh, as his McDonald's, his local McDonald's. But you see Lincoln, Nebraska, and that's very strange. 
In fact, I was surprised the other day. I traveled to Pittsburgh the other day. Uh, we were having a book signing in Pittsburgh, and uh, it didn't look the way I thought Pittsburgh should look. <laughs> and have you ever seen Pittsburgh on TV except the, the inside of the stadium? No way. It'll never get there. Anyway, uh, he goes on to say other things. He says, uh, he says the screen, uh, this is Philly, Lincoln, Nebraska, flash on the screen. These places are strange to Tim Lassa. He says, uh, what with the present myopia of most writers and media personalities, it's no wonder that they do not realize that the seething, rising, passionate turmoil that covers the snow belt is distressingly similar to the symptoms of Kansas distress in the mid-19th century. It says, There have been many fistfights, occasional shootings, and more exotic happenings. Did you know that there's been several murders uh, already uh, in the snowmobile wars? Did you know that? You didn't. That's right. And I'm telling you, it's really breaking out in the country. And in fact, one of the hottest uh, uh, issues outside of New York is the snowmobile licensing issue or the snowmobile banning issue. Now, like, for example, up in Maine, there's a very hot issue about, uh, you know, what, what they're going to do about licensing, as it is now. Kids, can, you know, a nine-year-old kid can get on and drive one of these things, and it weighs like a half a ton. <laughs> it can go 45, you know, and so there's a lot of hassling about that and also banning it from the wilderness. This is a big, big hassle. Anyway, he says there have been many fantastic events an exotic happening, such as wires stretched strategically across snowmobile trails. That's right. Wash line is buried in the snow to catch and wind around tracks, thereby bringing the machine to a snarling, grinding, gasping halt. There have been many other esoteric uh, thoughts to devise ways of stopping what one emotional columnist calls, quote, the original outdoor sin. As an example, last year in Michigan and later in the Adirondacks, there were painstakingly constructed miniature tank traps with pointed logs aimed directly at the path of oncoming snowmobiles. That's serious. You hit one of those at 40 miles an hour and forget that snowcat. It's gone, <laughs> and you're lucky if you survive. It says some beleaguered rural landowners have stretched chains at about the height of a snowmobile's neck across private roads. When you get to that point, buddy, you ain't kidding. What has caused this rage of emotions among our normally placid, bovine-like country cousins? He says, I think there is an underlying basic resentment in the breasts of many people when there is an imminent change from animal power to machine power. I agree with that. It's a good point. I think that all throughout history, whenever machine power has replaced animal power, and that includes manpower too, with any given thing, there has been a with with a, with a machine. When, when the machine has replaced man in some activity or an animal, there has been great, great uh, resentment, and two sides immediately divide: one that is pro-machine, and the other is anti. He said, uh, before the snowmobiles, travel in the winter woods was by dog sleds, snowshoes, or cross-country ski. It's the only way you could get around in the woods. Suddenly, the grinding, snarling, spitting, coughing, smelly snowmobile enters upon the scene. 
Where there was once silence and clean air, now there is noise and smell and stink of all kinds. This bugs a great many humans. To study a similar situation of change from a re- animal to machine, we have to go back many, many years into our history. Most Americans know from watching movies and TV, quote, Gus Dildock's history book substitute, TV, <laughs> uh, that we went from a horse economy to an automobile economy. Well, as usual, Gus Dildock and TV is wrong again. From about 1895 to the Depression in the 1930s, the country was uh, covered with a network of railroads, trolley lines, and interurban electric railways. Actually, most people traveled that way. They didn't travel neither with a car nor with a horse. It's a good point he makes. That's quite true. He says, the preponderant number of Americans during this period from 1895 through roughly the Depression days used these means of public transportation to go to work, the amusement parks, saloons, Uncle Charlie's, Aunt Gertie's, or any place else they wanted to go. To compare it with the present, a larger percentage of the population at that time used these vehicles than now use the nation's airlines by far. Therefore, for most people, it was not a change from animal to auto, but from one machine, a trolley, a train, or interurban, to a more convenient and personal vehicle, the private automobile. I agree with him. Now, that point has never been made. That's, that's why I'm, I'm doing something on this, uh, this letter that may bore some of you, in which case, too bad. Uh, for those who it doesn't, fine. You've got a head on your head. This is WOR New York. It's time for our little commercial here for the House of Chan. Ring, ting, 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 ring, ting, ting, That's kind of nice, you know. Uh, if you, uh, friends, uh, have never tried the House of Chan, I would like to highly recommend it. It's a really great uh, Chinese restaurant here in town. Been here for 35 years, and they're in a great location. They're at uh, 52nd Street and 7th Avenue. And uh, they're open seven days a week. They've been there for a long time, and they produce some of the finest food in the business. Seven days a week, they have a bar, and they're open on Sunday, of course, and they're open till midnight. And if you're making a theater or something in town one of those nights, you just drop in there and tell them you're going to the show, and they'll get one of those walks hot, and they'll have the food ready for you, and you will be out, and you'll be making the curtain. How's a chance? bump a dump bump start you thinking that the music could stop. Someday, a live concert by the New York Philharmonic may be a thing of the past, because the New York Philharmonic is desperately fighting a crippling deficit, even though it's playing for the enjoyment of more people than ever before. If great music is important to you, please help. Send your contribution, any amount, to the New York Philharmonic, Philharmonic Hall, New York 10023. Don't let the music stop. He says, when the early auto broke down and J.P. Rube yelled, Get a horse! 
It was the normal reaction of the peasant when a rich man's toy, which the primitive car was, collapsed and deposited the fat capitalist on his derriere. That's quite true. Uh, when cars became available to Slobus Americanus, he clasped them to his breast and fell totally and irrevocably in love with his plaything. To find a kind of rancor raised... To find the... It's badly printed here. To find the kind of rancor raised by the snowmobiles, we must go back much further to the 1830s and the 1840s when the first fledgling steam railroads belched their way out of the scenery. Now, that is a good analogy, because the country was quiet and peaceful and clean, and all of a sudden a thing came out of the woods, belching smoke and throwing ashes all over the place and dropping soot on everybody's laundry. And uh, that's a good, uh, a good analogy. He said, during this period, the 1830 and 1840, scientists, writers, preachers, and self-appointed saviors of the people thundered their denunciations of this fire-breathing, smoking, clanking, hissing, whistling creation of no one else but the devil himself. Did you know that there were great... Uh, and, and now, it's very hip in America to be very nostalgic about railroads. But uh, historically, at the time that the railroad was actually being invented, and it was first beginning to be seen, that the large numbers of the intelligentsia the intellects of the time, uh, the religious leaders of the time, were totally against this machine. It was considered, uh, you know, evil modernism. And there's many, many woodcuts and cartoons about it since that are still remaining in the, in the literature of the time where it shows this monster breathing smoke and fire. It's a famous cartoon. And uh, it shows uh, women and children fleeing and gasping and coughing and grinding bodies under the wheels and underneath it it says uh, we've improved life again uh, so so when you are nostalgic all you train buffs are for, for the train at one time the train was considered by large numbers of people as the curse of the total universe and in some ways it was if you've ever lived near a railroad track you know what they talk about what they mean most people who love railroads never lived near one uh, I'm afraid. They just read about them. Anyway, uh, it, says, uh, it says, there were warnings, for example, given at the time. Hens would not lay. Cows would not give milk. Horses would die of heart attacks. These things and many more, if this instrument of evil was allowed to trample on the face of our fair land, it was proven conclusively that the smoke from steam engines was proven scientifically by scientists of the day that the smoke from steam engines would cause climatic changes which would bring out a new ice age. Doesn't this remind you of the current furor over the SST? Doesn't it? And by the way, there's always, quote, scientists who will come up to prove that whatever has just been invented will cause irrevocable damage. And they disappear quickly, of course, after, after the fact. I, how many of you recall when jets became big uh, in the mid-50s and replaced prop planes? Uh, there were predictions at the time that the jet engine 
uh, first of all, was going to cause irre- it was going to cause irrevocable loss of hearing among many people who lived in the area of airports. It was going to cause hearing loss. Uh, there were, and also it was uh, a lot of other predictions made about jet planes. They didn't even. They, there was even one group of scientists who predicted that the acceleration and the speeds that the jet plane flies at, which are 500 and 550 miles an hour, would prove irrevocably injurious to the internal organs of the human being. If the human being travels at 500 miles an hour in a plane, uh, that uh, it would cause irrevocable damage. Anyway, did you know that at one time it was believed uh, not only would trains cause a climate change and an ice age would be brought on by the year 1900 was predicted by many scientists of the 1830s and 40s. Well, now, wait a minute. Don't laugh at those guys because we, we, we live through predictions of our time and nobody seems to, to, to question them. I can remember before the first moon landings, before the first moon landing, there was a very famous scientist from Harvard. He was a he was apparently uh, a leading expert on the, the moon and the surface of the moon who predicted on two national television shows, one of them the Carson Show, that uh, the moon was covered with a thick, soft, volcanic ash, sort of a soft ash uh, coating that was very deep, maybe 15 to 16 feet. And they, he even produced all kinds of mathematical proof and computations and the... Uh, sightings of this and that to prove that when they landed that the vehicle would quite probably sink uh, maybe 15 to 20 feet in this volcanic ash. I remember that vividly. Never heard from that guy since. Now, I also recall the same, uh, in respect to the same thing, all these scientists who predicted that man would bring back from the earth, and I again heard this on two of the major shows, uh, would bring back from the moon, deadly space viruses, <laughs> which would could wipe out the whole Earth uh, in, in milliseconds. You remember all that stuff? Well, whatever happens to these guys? Well, nobody seems to remember that they made those predictions, and the same guys are up making the same predictions. <laughs> the same guys are probably still predicting now that climate is going to change because of the SST. You know, they're predicting not. Not going to use that. Um... Uh, and uh, anyway, he says the, the influence, uh, so it goes on. He says, the influence of the iron horse, did you know, was thought to, at one time, to keep mothers from bearing little ones? It was believed that this would, because of the tra- the way it was, tra- uh, the, the bumps and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, also, they thought that the clickety-clack of wheels on rail joints would cause children to become insane. Uh, and then he says, yes, Virginia. The Ralph Nader complex has always been with us. That is true. There's always been a Ralph Nader. Only at this time can he get national coverage. Back in those days, the Naders of the period, you know, the, the, the great complainers of, uh, against the wheel when it came in, uh, the great complainers against every conceivable uh, change that came up, were usually local in, uh, in scope. Uh, but the, now, of course, it's another story. Farmers and simple folk aroused by these emotional appeals, did you know, in the 1830s, often used force of arms to prevent railroads from being laid in their towns and counties. This is the same reaction which snowmobiles 
bring today, although violence rears its ugly head more often than it did 130 years ago. Violence today is much more in style than it was during a religious age. I agree. Uh, when you have problems, uh, deal, it with it, deal with it violently. It's the way we do it these days. As an example, let me relate some experiences of mine. One cold, snowy winter day, about 4.30, I stopped in a North Country bar for a bit of libation. The normal type crowd was whooping it up, laughing, joking, and talking about sports. I parked at the end of the bar. Near the middle were two gamey loggers who hadn't changed their long john since the first snowstorm. Near them were two dairy farmers encased in their own cocoon of crud of eau de la manure. Uh, they were slurping, uh, having a little beer before milking time. At the other end of the bar, two guys who had finished batting boxcars up and down the branch line outside were talking football with the beer truck driver and his helper, who were now sampling their own wares. Suddenly, one of the farmers seemed to be getting bugged. Loudly, he frothed to his companion, They ought to burn every damn snowmobile. Next one of them slobs I kept cutting my fences, I'm going to shove my 12-gauge in his ear and clear his sinuses up. Well, one of the loggers stood up, his full height, eight feet two, and growled, What'd you say? In about three minutes, all the patrons of the bar were yelling and hollering at each other as the snowmobilers and their adversaries did verbal battle. The, the vile language being used caused my shell-like little ears to turn a deep red color. You know what happened next, of course. Fists and feet followed words, and the formerly peaceful bar became a melange of sweaty, bleeding bodies. Like a true blue-red-blooded American coward, I got the hell out of there without paying for my beard. Anyone may observe that a person who associates with the riff and the raff should expect a knuckle sandwich for dessert. To demonstrate that snowmobiles breed violence, let me switch to another milieu. One night by accident, I happened to be attending a dinner for area educators. Incidentally, this man happens to be a teacher. There were all these distinguished-looking guys sitting at long, white, cloth-covered tables. I could hear, cough, cough, <laughs> brack, brack. All kinds of intellectual comment being passed back and forth. Deep thought and eternal wisdom were so omnipresent that a cloud of these ingredients hung over the hall like an L.A. smog at 9 a.m. on an early fall morning. Opposite me sat our local school principal, who I'll call Mr. Jones. Many eons ago, when I was in the Army, we had a word to describe Mr. Jones. It, was, it had something to do with breaking thing, uh, balloon breaker or beagle, bagel buster. I don't remember the exact phrase, but I do recall that it described Mr. Jones to a T. As it often happens, a lull fell over the group, and we could hear one guy talking loudly. A big fat lump at the next table was extolling the virtues of his new snowmobile. Mr. Jones, the intellectual principal who was sipping his drink, grinned and said to me, Watch this. He strode to the next table, and in a voice that could be heard in the next county, he started to speak gently to Fatso. Sir, it's people like you who ruin the environment. You in that snowmobile chasing deer, littering the countrysides, creating unnecessary noise, using our country's limited natural resources for what? Just to ride across the snow and make a noise. Well, all hell broke loose. 
Of course, Mr. Jones, like a true buster, went back to his seat and sipped his drink. How was that, he asked. Great speech, I answered, for I knew he didn't give a damn one way or the other about snowmobiles or the environment. He was just starting a fight. <laughs> At the next table, a short, dumpy intellectual with a Van Dyke, his face beat red, was yelling uneducational-type language at a tall, skinny Solon who looked like he was 90 years old and had been dead for at least six months. The cadaver was grabbing the back of a chair and getting ready to slam it over his fellow educator's head. All over the hall, this scene was being repeated. I'll drop the curtain on this subject because further revelations may embarrass some high-class citizens. Anyhow, the snowmobile seems to have... A, have exerted a sinister siren-like influence over many otherwise normal people. Like drugs, liquor, and women, such as Fu Manchu's daughter, snowmobiles hook unwary citizens and turn them into third-class monsters. It's quite true. It might be the advertising that does it. On local TV stations, snowmobile commercials are run back-to-back, -back, each one basically the same as the other. Tinkling music as the machine glides over the snow. You don't have these in New York, so you don't see them. They're outside of New York. I would say every third commercial during the winter, and right now, is a snowmobile commercial. I would say every third, maybe even less. I would say more, maybe even every second one. You wouldn't believe it. I was up in Maine here a couple of months ago, and it would seem like hour after hour that's all they ran was snowmobile commercials. On TV, and he's right. They all look the same. If you've never seen one, here's the way they look. Uh, the machines uh, glides over the snow, tinkling music, hits a jump, and then flies tremendously up in the air in slow motion through the air, and then lands light as a feather and speeds off with the driver smiling through it all. There was never any engine sounds. They never have the sound of the motors on it. It's always music in the background. Now, if you've never heard a snowmobile in the woods... It's a, it's a sound similar like this. It's, it's a, it's a high-pitched, whining, uh, uh, strangled scream. They don't sound like cars. They, wah, 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 wah. That's a snowmobile sound, right, Jerry? And it's not the pleasantest sound in the world, and it's extremely loud. He said, but they never show this on commercials. They never show the, the uh, sounds of the thing. It says, uh... Uh, it says, there's never any engine sounds, according to the commercials. They must be powered by a tape deck. In real life, a snowmobile sounds like an ambulatory chainsaw. That's right. That jumping that they show is also another laugh. Uh, this, uh, these drivers, of course, on TV are pros. And when Stanley Schnook tries to jump his machine, it doesn't work in slow motion. <laughs> the snowmobile lands like a ton of bricks. Schnooky's eyeballs are forced through the top of his skull, and three discs in his spine disintegrate. But boy, am I having fun, he thinks to himself as he gets carted off to the hospital. Snowmobile back, by the way, snowmobile back is an entirely new and growing field of medicine uh, to demonstrate the insidious evil influences of these roaring monsters. Let me tell of a doctor happy in his work of trying to cure a snowmobile back, yanking tonsils, and so forth. One day, we had a hell of a snowstorm, and Doc, who lived outside of town, had a hard job driving to the hospital. A so-called friend, uh, probably a disciple of Old Scratch, loaned him a fairly new snowmobile to go back and forth between here and the hospital. Doc was hooked. 
All winter, he roared around the countryside on his new toy. And that spring, he was in Albany Medical Center being operated on for his snowmobile back. <laughs> That's true. Doctors are particularly susceptible. Do you know that, that doctors are the, are the greatest gadget guys in the world? I, I've known dozens of them. They really are. And what's worse, they're the, they're the least talented among the gadget people. For some crazy reason, doctors are drawn to gadgets, but are not very good with them. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is a fact in flying, that, that the mortality and accident rate among doctor flyers is among the very highest of any given group of people, you know, any, any specific uh, profession or, uh, or occupation. And a friend of mine who's a, a, uh, a famous flight instructor said, oh, my God, he says, you give me a doctor uh, who comes in here to take uh, flying lessons, and he says, he says I, I get sick down in my gut. <laughs> he says, you can't tell a doctor anything. After five minutes at the controls, he's telling you. And uh, that's the Marcus Welby uh, syndrome in charge of everything. But it's quite true. Uh, that uh, It's a good point. He says, I must admit, I, and a, I am a cross-country skier and have been for quite a few years, so naturally I'm prejudiced. But I do think snowmobiles are a symbol which represents the true apex of snobism, a slobism, rather, slobism. A snow machine operator is the true herd animal, one who only travels in groups of 20 or 30 or larger. One of the more popular pastimes is what may be called pub crawling, bar hopping, bouncing, or other things, dependent on your background and disposition. These guys will start out about 11 p.m., hit one bar, roar across country, hit another bar, and so on. By 3 a.m., Everyone is bombed out of their skulls. About that time, they roar up and down the streets of country villages, waking up uh, little old ladies and their pussycats and also all the dogs in the village, who thereupon start howling in unison, adding to the din. This highly social behavior, among other things, has caused many towns to slap curfews and restrictive laws on snowmobiles. Now, this may be dull to a lot of you who don't have any involvement with it. You know, you're hearing this, you say, oh, so what? And it's, it's, uh, it, is, uh, being, it is being exaggerated. But not so. I noticed uh, this summer, uh, early last summer, uh, last summer I'm talking about, already the editorials began to appear in Maine and New England newspapers about snowmobiling long before the season. And... Guys have been elected and, and knocked out of office in various state capitals around the country. And this is, uh, this is uh, states like Minnesota, the Dakotas, uh, Wisconsin. We're talking about all the great snow states. People have been elected and or knocked out of office by their stand on snowmobile. It's as volatile a, a field in those, kind of, in those states as, say, uh, the late unlamented uh, Vietnamese war was at one time. In other words, a guy will, will uh, a man, I, I've, I saw a politician one time in, in Maine take out an ad. And, and the ad, it was a half-page ad in the local paper. He was running for state representative or something. And he said at the top, it says, Would you elect a man who makes a statement like this? And it shows a box, a statement. I believe that the snowmobile is causing untold damage to our wilderness. Dot, 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 Ollie Hopnoodle. Uh, 
December 14th, 1971. <laughs> Whatever he said, it says, I, Charles W. Bullard, stand full square for the rights of every individual who, if he wants to own a snowmobile, he can own a snowmobile. If he don't want to own a snowmobile, he don't have to own no snowmobile. But would you elect a man who would deprive you of the constitutional God-given right to run around in the woods on your snowmobile? I think not. Well, he, that was his campaign. His campaign was not on what he was going to do for the poor or welfare or what he was going to do about the, uh, the condition of the county hospitals. He was elected on the snowmobile issue. And he was elected, by the way. And, of course, as he was elected, the, 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 the campaign got very rancorous because at that point, uh, Ali, who had apparently made this statement in a moment of, uh, of political... Uh, uh, political uh, uh, madness <laughs> up there, you know. He, he made this statement uh, while he was uh, casually talking to somebody in a bar or something, and it got written down and published, uh, was busily going around the county trying to deny that he'd ever said that. You know, I never said that. Why, look at my, my some of my best friends own snowmobiles. Why, my own kid alone has, uh, has killed seven deer in the last month alone on his snowcat. I, and it was kind of a ludicrous sight to see. Now, now coming down to, to here, now why I'm devoting an evening to this is because this is an example of the kind of, of real issues that divide our country right now at this time that are never discussed ever on television. You just, you'll never hear this on the wide, wide world of sports. Uh, there'll never even be a, a, an implication on that. You know that, that in some, and another thing that's beginning to really... Uh, to cause great division in the country is the motorcycle bit. That in certain towns, motorcyclists simply are not allowed within the city limits. Are you aware of that, Jim? Right. And 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 now this is this is now. Do you know what also is beginning to develop now? Great controversy between the the camper people. I mean, the people who really camp. Uh, you know, with a tent uh, and a sleeping bag, and the big automotive, uh, motor-driven, gigantic, moving living room uh, scenes that you see around the country. Boy, there is real violence. You know that I saw in a campground, uh, again, up in New England, uh, a group of, uh, of tenters uh, went to every, at night, when it was all, you know, it was dark. Obviously, it was tenters. Nobody caught them. But a group of tenters went around. They were so bugged at all these giant Winnebagos and all that that came in, you know, with tape decks playing. And, my God, they had folding martini bars and, and the TV sets going full blast. It was like, here you are out in the wilderness. You know, you're trying to get out in the wilderness to be alone and to be with, the, be with nature. And suddenly, a seven-room house moves in next to you. <laughs> I mean, roughly, that's what happened. See? So these guys got bugged, and they went around at night. And they let out the air. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you get a flat on your seven-room house, you got a handful. And these guys went around and let the air out of the tires of all these giant Winnebagos and Dodge Land yachts and all that stuff. Well, they didn't discover it, you see, because uh, here it was. It was 2 in the morning. Everybody was quietly asleep or he was playing his tape deck so loud he couldn't hear anything going on outside and, you know, that whole thing. And the next morning, about 8 o'clock in the morning, all hell broke loose. I want to tell you. Uh, these guys were running around. They were carrying axes. They were apparently, quote, looking for who did it, is what they kept saying. 
And all the tenders just kept sitting in their tents looking out, you know. They were sitting there uh, uh, broiling their fish and looking, well, what happened, huh? What? Gee, that's too bad. You mean uh, you mean your the tires? Oh, for heaven's sakes. And uh, uh, I could see it seething. Well, now these kind of things are breaking out all over the country. Up in Alaska, when I was in Alaska, the deadly battle between the people who want the pipeline to come into Alaska because of jobs and everything, and the, the, and the people who want it to stay out because of, uh, uh, quote, again, I'm not giving anybody any sides here, ecology, are, uh, are really the lines are drawn. And they even get to the point where there's gunfire. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you wouldn't think of this. But yet, uh, I see the day when, when presidents, and it's coming, I see the day when presidents are going to have to make, they'll be asked those issues. A presidential candidate will appear in, uh, say, he's on his campaign trip, and he may appear, say, in a state like Minnesota, and somebody is going to holler out of the crowd, uh, Oh, hey, Senator, how do you stand on snowmobiles? Now, don't chicken out. How do you stand? I want to know before I vote. And he's going to have to say, because these are burning issues with people, really are. Uh, the anti-car faction and the pro-car faction. As you see, there's a great battle now between people who want more roads in their country, wherever it is they live, and the people who want roads to stay out. And by, I'd say by the 1990s, the real battles in the country will be fought between uh, the machine fans and the anti-machine fans. Generally, the machine fans are people who do not live in cities. The anti-machine people are urban people. Yet the urban life is far more machine-oriented than the life in the country. Very few offices today can work with, can operate without their facsimile machines. Uh, very few offices today. Can you imagine if they did away with the the telephone? It's a machine, you know. You imagine what would happen tomorrow morning if uh, they did away with the computer down in payroll department. They got that little old guy with the green eye shield again, you know, and sat there and made notes in a big book. And you'd come in and he'd count the money out. Uh, so the point is, these battles are going to be more and more. The first opening skirmishes have been fought. And with the usual uh, pseudo-scientific people, you know, uh, getting in on both sides. There's always a guy that's going to make a fortune selling a book to prove that an ice age is coming because of the new Maverick. Or an ice age is coming because of the SST or the railroad. On the other hand, you're going to have the guy that's going to write the book proving that if the SSD comes in, there will be health, happiness, and a job for everybody. So, you know, and I think those those, those areas are now becoming violent. I mean, when, when people who go to church every, every day suddenly find themselves putting in sharpened logs as tank traps to trap their neighbor, that's getting serious. That is getting serious. Putting pieces in, incidentally, they will put a strip of monofilament, 25-pound test invisible fishing line at neck high across uh, trails of uh, snowmobiles. You know what that does, don't you, when you hit that at 40? Zip. You'll have to drive two miles with your head severed, just sitting on the top of your neck there, not even know what happened. Like James Thurber's famous cartoon. <laughs> So uh, things are popping out there in the country, and you won't see much of it on the boob tube, 
which is generally devoted to selling these things. It never talks much about them. Yeah, the country is a boil. There are new... And eventually, of course, there will be buttons. There will be uh, organizations formed. You know, like the first beginning peace organizations were just sort of... Just sort of... Uh, Disorganized, but there will eventually be a symbol, like a snowmobile with a big black cross on it. Who knows, you know? Or a dove falling through the air, killed by the smog from some guy's snowcap. Yeah, it's boiling. This is WOR New York. You stay tuned for the news which follows. <laughs>